Well, good morning. It's great to see you all here this morning. I'm very excited. We're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 6, and we've been in our series uh, in the ministry of Elisha, um, and this is perhaps one of my favorite accounts uh, in this uh, this description and in these accounts of Elisha's ministry, and I've been gaining an even greater appreciation for it this week as I've been studying it. So I want to begin today with uh, with a question. Have you ever been totally unaware of something and been totally surprised when something happened to you? Has that ever happened to anyone? Perhaps your reaction was something like, man, I I didn't see that coming. (laughs) I didn't see it coming. Now, if you're like me, perhaps you've had some experiences like that in your life. And I remember one instance when I was back in college. I was a I was a college student. I was taking Spanish 101 at the time. And I remember I walked into class one day, and there was a, the students were in a bit of a frenzy. And I, and I walked in. I didn't know what was going on. And one of my classmates says to me, did you turn in the assignment that was due today? And I think I responded with words, something like, what assignment? <laughs> Apparently, we were supposed to write a report about a Spanish-speaking country or a place we'd like to visit. And for those of you who know me, you know that I'm a very good student. And so I'm always faithful to turn in my assignments. I have been since undergrad uh, and grad school, turning them in on time. And so I think I sat in my chair with some inward horror <laughs> in the pit of my stomach. And I felt very relieved that basically the whole class had actually forgotten the whole assignment. And uh, it was in that important document, you know, the, the, the syllabus, that, that document that everyone, you know, we're all supposed to look at and read. And uh, even, even good students like me, we, we don't look at it after the first day of class. Uh, but we were reminded, but we weren't, we struggled to be reminded that the assignment was due. Fortunately, that professor was gracious and gave us a few more days to turn in the assignment. But I was taught, completely caught off guard. I didn't see that coming. And in a similar way, I think sometimes we can be going through life. We're seeking to serve the Lord, but we're unaware of some of the things that are going on around us, even in our own hearts or in our minds. And I think a lot of this, some of this, a lot of this often is in the area of spiritual opposition and spiritual warfare. Um, and so we don't want, well, we don't, we want to be careful. We don't want to overemphasize the power of Satan and demons because we know that, that greater is he who's in us than he who's in the world. We also want to be balanced in recognizing that we do have an enemy and that we are called to be discerning and wise. And so th- today, our text today, I've called our sermon, Open Our Eyes. And, and uh, in our text, we're going to see some interesting connections. We're going to see contrast, maybe even in some irony in relation to some of these uses of phrases about blindness and eyes being opened. And so as we walk through our text today, I want us to be on the lookout for these phrases. Open, open his eyes, open their eyes. And there's this interesting contrast that the writer is using. And so in the midst of all of this wordplay, this, this irony, I want us to see th- three truths that this passage will open our eyes to as well. well. Let's look at truth number one, and that is... When God is at work, we can expect to experience opposition. Look in 2 Kings verse, chapter 6, down in verse 8. Once, when the king of Syria was warring against Israel, he took counsel with his servants, saying, At such and such a place shall be my camp. But the man of God sent word to the king of Israel, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are going down there. And the king of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God told him. Thus, 
he used to warn him so that he saved himself there more than once or twice. Verse 11, And the mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled because of this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me who of us is for the king of Israel? Verse 12, And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. And he said, Go and see where he is, that I may send and seize him. It was told him, Behold, he is in Dothan. So he sent there horses and chariots and a great army, and they came by night and surrounded the city. A little summary there of our, of our text. It describes a, a war between the Syrians and the Israelites. Uh, the, the, the Syrians, or some, some, some translations will translate it the Arameans, were often in conflict with the Israelites during this period. Actually, if you read ahead into the next account, there's, there's actually a description of a siege on Samaria, which is the capital city of Israel. And, um, and uh, Jehoram is the king of Israel. Elisha's ministry spans through the reigns of King Jehoram and Jehu. Um, and these are kings of the northern kingdom of Israel. And in our text, we read about the, the frustrations of the king of Syria. How he's, he's told his servants that where he's going to go camp, but then it seems like the king of Israel knows where he's going to be, when he's going to be there, and how to avoid him. Um, and the king of Assyria assumes, therefore, what probably most kings would assume, that there's a traitor in his ranks, that there's somebody there who's sending messages conveying his plans to the Israelites. So someone there is, is secretly loyal to Israel. But the true scenario here is that the servants of the king tell him that there's a prophet in Israel named Elisha who knows everything that's going on in the bedroom of the king. All this, he knows what's going on. He knows their plans. And so the king then decides to send an army of horses and chariots to go and capture Elisha. But what he doesn't account for is that there is a God in Israel. The God of Israel has been the, is the one who's been revealing these truths to Elisha. He's been protecting his people. God is the one who has been clearly working and moving through his prophet, protecting his people. But nevertheless, the king still sends these horses, army, chariots to go and capture this prophet. And I think this, this reminds us that when God is working and moving, opposition is not far away. The enemy is lurking. He is watching. And, and we see that through the opposition of, these, of this king as he is opposing Elisha and Israel with this incredible show of force. But I think this also translates into things that we struggle with in our lives as Christians. Because we know that God is at work among us. We know that God is working and moving. He's been moving in this church, and we've been seeing lots of exciting things. He's working in each and every one of our lives. But we also know that in the midst of that, there is also a battle. I love what Paul writes. He reminds us of this truth in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. He says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. 
And I think we can see this in many ways in our own personal lives and even in, the, in our church. My question this morning is, where are you facing opposition? Is there opposition? Maybe, maybe you've been faithful in your work or in your school, but then there's someone there who's criticizing or making life difficult. Or maybe there's strife in your family. No matter how much you've sought to try to love and care for those individuals. Maybe there's conflict with friends or classmates or maybe you have internal struggles or you've wrestled with anxiety or depression or discouragement. Maybe you've been discouraged from physical challenges that you've been facing. Maybe there are thoughts that are working and pulling you down. And I want to be careful to acknowledge these, these emotional struggles that are very real and very, very real to all of us. I know that there are chemical imbalances and then there's, there's emotional pain that sometimes could be really unbearable. And there are many other causes for these kinds of feelings as well. And these feelings are valid because we feel them. And often healing takes time and a great deal of work. But there's also a spiritual enemy who's at work, discouraging, whispering words of doubt and fear. And he intends for us to be discouraged and destroyed and be not able to go and serve God as he's called us to. And as a church, we also need to be mindful of God's, of the enemy's attacks. That's why we want to be faithful to care for one another, to look out for one another. We're all wrestling with our sin. We all struggle with that. It's part of keeping each other accountable. It's part of why we gather here on Sundays and at different times throughout the week. We also we want, we want to continue to be unified as a church. So when conflicts arise, that we seek forgiveness, reconciliation. But when there's sin in our hearts, we can, we can even sometimes be those instruments of opposition. So this is kind of just our, our setting the, the scene. Kind of our, we've seen that when God is at work, opposition will be present. It will be there. But we also want to see the second truth I think this passage opens our eyes to. And that is, and this is kind of more of the, the essence of the sermon really, is that when opposition comes, we can be confident that God is more powerful than our opposition. Look in verse, six, verse 15 of 2 Kings chapter 6. When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, Behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? Now, this is seemingly a hopeless scenario. This is a, a dire situation. The city is completely surrounded by the Syrian army. There's no way out for Elisha and his servant. I thought it was interesting that, that we know that Elisha, he knows what's going on in, in the king's bedchamber. He seems to know things that were not normal for ordinary people. One commentary even suggested that, that perhaps Elisha could have avoided this scenario, but he actually stays intentionally. And because he stays, God shows, them some, shows him and his servant something really incredible about himself. How would you have responded in this scenario? Maybe, maybe you're like me, and I would have been hopeless. I would have been afraid. I would have been, okay, this is it. We're done. I always remember my, one of the things my dad always used to say, he was a Navy veteran. He served in the Vietnam War. He used to say something like, when things were difficult and challenging, he'd be like, man, the lifeboats. The ship is going down. 
So I don't know about you, but I would have been filled with fear and hopelessness. I think running away might have been a good option, right? Let's see, we can sneak around and get away, but they are surrounded. I don't know, I think many of us maybe would have struggled to have eyes of faith and confidence. Let's look at Elisha's response in verse 16. Elisha responds in just that way. Verse 16, he said, Elisha says, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And when the Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Please strike this people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. And Elisha said to them, This is not the way, and this is not the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. And he led them to Samaria. So Elisha, somehow, he looks at this scenario and sees only how God is going to break through, only how God is going to deliver. He says to his servant, do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now, his servant's got to be thinking, how can this be? I, I thought this Elisha guy, I, I thought he was pretty solid, he's pretty, you know, but maybe he's just in living in denial, he's crazy. How can there be more with us than those who are with them. And then we see Elisha pray. And he asked the Lord to open the eyes, of, the spiritual eyes of the servant. And God lifts off the spiritual blinders. And this servant sees this amazing sight of horses and chariots of fire that are surrounding Elisha to protect him. Nothing can happen to Elisha without God allowing it. I feel like this passage is, is so packed, this particular section, these four verses. There's so many different things that we see here that this really, I mean, this is so much, this could be its own sermon, uh, but we're, we're focusing today on how God is infinitely more powerful. But there's so many different truths here that God has shows us, God shows us through this passage. And the first one we see is that God answers prayer. At times, he will even move heaven and earth on our behalf. Prayer is so important in spiritual battles. I love that we sang about that this morning. You know, have you trials or temptations? Take it to the Lord in prayer. I always love what what Dr. Charles Stanley used to say when he would say, fight your battles on your knees and you win every time. Because in prayer, we can call on the only one who can really help and change circumstances for his glory and the expansion of his kingdom. That's why we as a church, we, we seek to demonstrate that through, through our prayer meetings. This is something that is so important where we go to the Lord. I think it's also one of those things that we, where it's one of those areas where we struggle. There's opposition to our time in prayer. I think many of us will struggle where when we're praying, we're like, we start thinking about something else, right? As soon as we're praying, we get distracted or something goes off in our house or the dog barks, or anything. 
It also, I think this also kind of opens our eyes a little bit to some understanding of spiritual warfare, that there are spiritual armies who are prepared to engage and protect God's people. It's an amazing sight of these horses and chariots of fire. But then we also see that God is always in control. This is one of those truths I always come back to, that God is always in control, that nothing happens without his knowledge, nothing happens without his oversight. But then this is the one that we've kind of been focusing on in our, in our text today, in our sermon today, that God is infinitely more powerful than the most powerful opposition. Because when you have God's presence with you, you are always greater than those who would oppose you. So the, the confidence of Elisha really is incredible because of this, the direness of this situation. I don't know if there's really a situation as far as illustrating how the, the, the confidence he has in God in the face of this powerful opponent. But as close as I could think of and find is um, we often see these kinds of you know, David-Goliath kind of opposition overcoming in the realm of sports. And uh, for those of you, I've shared some things about some of my, I'm a sports fan, and uh, one of my, one of my things that I enjoy very much during the spring is when the college basketball tournament comes around, um, the, the March Madness as it's called. Um, and this was very much a, uh, this is a, a picture from the, the famous uh, defeat of uh, University of Virginia against UMBC. Uh, so UMBC, <laughs> uh, that was a really exciting, that was one of those things that was a momentous moment in the college basketball tournament because up until this time, the, the, the lowest seed, the 16 seeds, had never defeated a one seed in the history of the tournament. So that was 135 games until UMBC defeated Virginia by 20 points. So they won handily, too. It was a close game in the, in the, during halftime. One of the things I was reading about, just reading about the attitudes of the players and just how they felt coming into the game, uh, and they all believed that they could win the game coming into it. Um, they all believed they had, they had confidence going into it, but then once the second half turned, they were tied at 21 at the end of the first half, and the second half turned, and they got a six or seven point lead, and they were like, we can win this game. And that confidence enabled them to continue to compete against a more talented and skilled opponent with, I'm sure, much taller players who were <laughs> much better, and there was, uh, they were championship contenders. But that's the confidence that they had. It's unusual. And I think it, it's, while it's probably kind of a poor illustration of how the confidence that Elisha has here, but we see Elisha does have this really unusual confidence that God is going to deliver them from these dire circumstances. And as followers of Jesus, we can have that kind of confidence as well. Because our Father in heaven loves us. He wants to provide good things for us and is infinitely more powerful than anything or anyone that could oppose us. I love this particular truth is that while the world preaches having confidence in yourself, the Christian knows that his or her confidence is in Jesus because only Jesus has the power to heal, help, and save. Jesus is the one that 
is the foundation for the confidence that we have. That's how we can approach challenges. That's how we can approach opposition. Because we have Jesus in us. We have Jesus with us. We have the truth of his word that we can rely on and walk into that battle with confidence because of what he's done. But maybe you're like me and and you wrestle with confidence in God and his word. I feel like time and time again, I I hit different scenarios and I'm just like, how am I going to get through this? And then God gets us through every time. He gets us through. But fear is the natural response, uncertainty, to all of these different stressful situations that we face. Maybe you're facing these these difficult times and challenges, and you're not sure how God is going to come through. But I know there's so many of us here, we can all testify to, here's how God delivered in this case or that case. But yet, we we struggle so much. We forget how God has been faithful. We continue to look to our own resources in the various situations that we face in life. But maybe, that, maybe you're afraid about a decision that you're going to make, or there's a boss or a coworker who's made your life difficult. Or maybe you're worried about a, 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 a thesis or a, a major project, and you're not sure how that's going to go. I want to encourage us all today to be reminded that God is faithful. We can place our confidence in him. And when facing these, these circumstances that cause us to be afraid, that cause us to lose hope, there's a, these are some great truths that we want to remember. That we can be confident in God's power over the forces of darkness and that we can trust it completely in the Lord. I love what the psalmist, what David writes in Psalm 20 when he says, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Our trust is in the name of God, not in our talent, education, our money, our abilities. We may not be trusted in chariots and horses, but we definitely lean on those things that we can see. But our trust is ultimately, it's in the name of the Lord our God, because all those other things are going to fail us. They're not going to enable us to, to pass through that challenge. It's God that carries us through. I love what, what John writes. I quoted this a little bit at the beginning. First John 4, verse 4. He says, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. In addition to God's power to protect, we've, we see that God also delivers he does so in, in this story in a very ironic manner, right? He's, he's keeping this idea of he's blinding the soldiers and, and then they open their eyes and then they're, they're in Samaria. And Elisha leads these people to the, he says, to the man that they're seeking. And it's this great reversal of situations and we see how God has delivered remarkably. One of the things that I think is really interesting and a lot of scholars point some of these things out about Elisha and his ministry is that it actually parallels really well with the ministry of Jesus. There are a lot of interesting 
notes, and uh, one scholar, Victor Hamilton, he kind of he notes some of these different parallels, noting that they, the same Hebrew word actually is, is part of their name, Elisha and, and Jesus, the Hebrew would be Yeshua, uh, and that has the idea that this, it means to save or, or salvation. Um, Elisha also, he receives the spirit of Elijah at the Jordan River, and when Jesus was baptized, the, spirit of, the Holy Spirit descends like a dove. But there's also parallels in the miracles that Jesus and Elisha performed. There's differences as well. We, we see that we learned a few weeks ago how, how Elisha had healed Naaman, and we see several instances where Jesus heals lepers in the New Testament. There's resurrection, and when you know, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, and he rises from the dead. There's also uh, Elisha, when he dies, that he, his bones fall on this person, and he comes back to life. And I think even this, this story, where these connections with opening eyes and blindness parallels with some of the, with the miracles of Jesus when he healed individuals who were blind. In John chapter 9, we read about Jesus healing a man who was born blind. And this is a, an incredibly significant story because the, right, the, uh, the, the leaders, those who observe, they're like, no one has ever healed anyone who was born blind. But Jesus did more than just heal this man of his, of his physical blindness. He also healed him of his spiritual blindness and saved his soul. Look at John chapter 9, uh, verse 39. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Verse 40, some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. See, in this passage, Jesus is commenting on the self-righteousness of these Jewish leaders who didn't, they, they didn't believe that they needed Jesus. They thought that they could still make things right with God through their own righteousness, where they could earn their way. So they sought to keep the Jewish law, and they were very proud of that. But in reality, they were blind. They were blinded spiritually to their need for Jesus, and so they remained in their guilt. That's what, that's what, and that's what Jesus is saying, that he, he came so that those who do not see may see, and that those who thought they saw would become blind. And this really is the good news of the gospel. This is the good news of why Jesus came. Because every single one of us is a sinner, which means that we've all done things that are against God's word and against his will. And it can even be as, as seemingly small as just as telling a lie or saying something hurtful, being disrespectful or disobedient to your parents or so many other things. But this sin has separated us from God. And because of it, we would spend eternity apart from God in hell. As Paul writes in Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but... And I'm so thankful for this. The, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The wages of our sin is death. This is what we have earned from our sin, spiritual and physical death. But because of what Jesus has done, he offers us eternal life. 
It's a free gift that must be received by faith. But we must be willing to acknowledge that we are sinners and place our faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It's the only way that we can make it to heaven, that we can be forgiven of our sins. And this is the great victory that Jesus has won for us in his resurrection from the dead and through his death on the cross. He demonstrated his power over sin, death, and hell because of his great love for us. And he has called us to believe and to trust in him and in his finished work, not in our own power. And that's how we are saved and healed of our spiritual blindness. That's how that guilt is removed and taken away. That is the power of what Jesus has done. So we've seen how this passage, it opens our eyes to the fact that that there will be opposition when God is at work. We've also seen how we can have confidence because God is much more powerful than any spiritual or physical enemy. And the final truth that I want us to see today is that when we are confident in God's power to protect and provide for us, we can focus on showing love to others even those who oppose us. This is kind of this outward focus that we as followers of Jesus are to have. Look at verse 20 in 2 Kings 6. As soon as they entered Samaria, Elisha said, O Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. I'm just there to open, open, open the eyes again. So the Lord opened their eyes and they saw, and behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. As soon as the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elisha, My father, shall I strike them down? Shall I strike them down? He answered, You shall not strike them down. Would you strike down those whom you have taken captive with your sword and with your bow? Set bread and water before them, that they may eat and drink and go to their master. So he prepared for them a great feast. And when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away, and they went to their master And the Syrians did not come again on raids into the land of Israel. So Elisha leads these soldiers, leads them by the hand. They they don't know where they're going. Elisha says, I'll take you to the man who you're seeking. They're following him. He leads them right into the capital city of Israel. So this is a, a, a great opportunity here for this king of Israel where he could go and wipe out his enemies and 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 they'd be gone and and so he, but the king is, he's very, he seems like he's very confused. He's, what, what do I do? What, what do I do in this situation? Should I strike down these men? But Elisha tells him to do the exact opposite thing. He says, how could you do such a thing? Would, would you, he says, instead, let's prepare a feast for these men and then send them on their way. One commentator, Donald Wiseman, contends that perhaps this was a, a way of sort of sealing a treaty between these two countries. And David Jeremiah notes that Elisha's actions demonstrate his kindness and compassion. See, Elisha had confidence in God's protection and provision. And so instead of scurrying and being afraid of what to do, he looked outward. He looked outward and was able to show love to those around him even the enemies of Israel. And we know as Christians, Jesus has taught us to show love to our enemies. 
Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 5. He says, you've heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. See, here's the truth. When we are focused on ourselves and on our own trouble, we're not as centered on showing love to others. Our minds are more wrapped around our own difficulties and our own challenges. But when we look outward, we look around and see needs around us, we can minister to others for the gospel in really beautiful ways. One person who I think demonstrated this outward focus in her life is the the famous hymn writer Fanny Crosby, who is, if you you know some of her story, she was blinded as an infant, um, but but she remained determined to live a useful life. She worked hard as she acquired an education. I was reading that, that she even befriended multiple presidents, and she had a very uh, unusual kind of life. She wrote uh, over 8,000, about 8,000 hymns, some of which are under a pseudonym, and uh, many of those hymns we still sing in our churches today. So hymns like Blessed Assurance or Near the Cross or To God Be the Glory. But she had a unique perspective on her disability, and I wanted to share this quote that she had Uh, And she refused to let it discourage her. She said, Blindness cannot keep the sunlight of hope from the trusting soul. One of the easiest resolves that I formed in my young and joyous heart was to leave all care to yesterday and to believe that the morning would bring forth its own peculiar joy. See, Fanny Crosby understood that tomorrow's got its own worries. And so she placed her confidence in the provision and protection of God, which then enabled her, despite her disability, to continue on and be a blessing to others. And she remains a blessing to us today, even though she's with the Lord. Her attitude and words remind me much of the the words of Jesus. This is one of of my favorite verses, these favorite promises of God. Matthew chapter 6. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. That was, uh, that was actually the that last passage there, the, the sufficient for today. That was always my Greek professor's encouragement to us as we were studying Greek and dealing with all the struggles of Greek. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. <laughs> but this, in, this, in this verse, we're reminded of seek first God's kingdom. In this passage, Jesus is addressing questions and, and things about anxiety, things about what are, what are we going to eat, what are we going to wear, at least these questions that people have. But Jesus says, seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. And all the things that you're scrambling for, all the things you're uncertain about, they'll be added to you. God will provide. And so, but when we trust in God's protection and provision, we can then lean on God for all of our needs, and then we can do what God has called us to do, to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to be on mission, to serve God and love others. And every day, we have unique opportunities to do just that, whether that's in our our college campuses, in our workplaces, in our neighborhood. 
We have opportunities to interact with other people and share God's love, both in showing God's love and in sharing the good news. So I listed just a few of these, some of these kind of applications or some different ideas and how we show love to others. One of those, the ones we often think of, probably the first one we think of, is in how we show kindness to others. And that's part of what we do each week. It's part of our outreach ministries here on Mondays and Fridays. We want people to know that they're loved, that they can come here and be accepted and be encouraged. That's what we're doing here at the church. That's what we're doing on our college campuses. People are loved because God loves them. God has placed value on their lives. And so that's always the way I, I look at you know, when we're, we're in, in these ministry settings. We want people to know that they're loved and valued because they are. Because that is the truth. And Maybe, maybe there are members of your family that, that are difficult and hard to love. We all, we all have some of those people in our lives. And maybe uh, with holidays coming up, there might be people you're not looking forward to seeing but I want to encourage you to be kind. Continue to love those people. You may very well, that relative may very well not know Jesus. And you can be the light of the gospel to that person. Or maybe you've got individuals that you're working with in a classroom setting or you know, in, your, in, your, um, in your classes or in, in school that are, that are challenging to work with. They're not doing, maybe they're not fulfilling their obligations on the group project. That was always the worst group projects. There's always people not doing stuff. <laughs> but as followers of Jesus, we, we need to be those people who show kindness and love. There's also ways where we can show, be generous with our time and with our, with our money, with our resources. That's part of what we do through our offerings, through our benevolence giving, our, our ACTC collection, or if we, you know, when we've made care packages for college students, or our outreaches in graffiti church, and so many other ways ways that we are generous and serve others. Uh, I really like this one. This, this one, that's something I've learned about. I learned about this summer uh, during my evangelism class. It was the idea of servant evangelism, where you're, you're, just, you're, you're kind of walking around looking for opportunities with your eyes open, looking for ways that you can show the love of Jesus to someone in, in, in anywhere you are. It could be, you could be in a grocery store. You could be in Starbucks and just, hey, just pay for someone's coffee or, and just tell them that you, you, you did so in the name of Jesus, that you did so because you love Jesus and you wanted to show the love of Jesus to that person. So, and this is, this is kind of that mindset where we're thinking outwardly, looking for opportunities to show love to others, to serve people, and to live out the love of Jesus. I don't, I don't know if, if some of you are like me, I get very like, overwhelmed and busy sometimes as I'm going around doing different things, running errands, and so you can, you can miss things that are going on around you. Someone who might have a need right in front of a grocery store or have a need, or have a need for someone to carry their bags to their car. And then, of course, there's always sharing the gospel with others. There is nothing more loving that we can do than to share Jesus. These are just some of these ways that we can live with that outward focus. As we already, we, we've, we've seen how we can trust in God's provision and his protection. So we can focus then on seeking first God's kingdom and his righteousness. Let him take care of our needs and then trust in, trust in God to provide and protect. And let him use us as his people on mission for the glory of God. 
So today we've seen how this passage has opened our eyes to, some, to different truths, but these three in particular. How we've seen that when God is at work, we can expect to experience opposition. When opposition comes, we can be confident that God is more powerful than our opposition. And when we are confident in God's power to provide and protect us, we can focus on showing love to others, even those who oppose us. Maybe today you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Today is always the best day you can do that. You don't need to keep putting that off. I want to encourage you today to call out to him today. We'll be up here at the front, and we'll be available to talk to you and encourage you to pray with you so that you can know that you have eternal life, that your sins are forgiven. Maybe today God has also he's called you to join this church, and so we'll also be available here at the front as well. And so let's, let's, we'll close in a word of prayer, and then our, our worship team will, will come out and close with our closing song. Father, we thank you today for your word. We thank you for these reminders that he who's in us is greater than he who's in the world, and that you have called us to be people who are confident. You haven't called us to live in fear and doubt, but you've called us to, to live on mission, to live as people who can serve you wherever we are. And so Lord, I'm thankful for how you have been working in this church and how you are continuing to work in hearts and lives today and this week. And I pray that you would continue to use us as a congregation to, to be that light to those who need you, Lord. To be the light and the hope of the gospel wherever we are. And I pray you continue to bless the rest of our service and our time in Bible study as well. We ask these things in the name of our Savior Jesus. Amen.